This is 89.1 WEMU, and I'm David Fair. Welcome to the Green Room. PFAS stands for per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances. There are thousands of different chemicals in the PFAS family, and they're in thousands of different products. In the first four parts of this series on PFAS, we looked at their potential health impacts, where they're found, and how consumers and manufacturers can avoid contributing to their spread. How well are voluntary approaches working? What about mandated approaches? In this fifth and final segment in the series, Barbara Lucas asks a lot of questions and gets some surprising answers. We protect us. We do. That's actor Mark Ruffalo. I'm watching a YouTube trailer for the new movie Dark Waters. He's playing Rob Balat, the lawyer who's been taking on manufacturers of PFAS chemicals. Here's the real-life Rob Balat at a panel I attended on PFAS in Flint 2018. And the people that are coming to me saying, what do we do about this? Um, We're being told there are no state or federal regulations, that the agencies can't do anything. The companies are saying they're not required to do anything. What can we do as the community, as the actual people drinking this stuff, what can we do? You knew. Still you did nothing. Balat says even if not required, the companies should have shared their suspicions that long-chain PFAS chemicals, namely PFOS and PFOA, could be dangerous. Well, what we were seeing was there were decades and decades of studies that had been done by 3M, the manufacturer, DuPont as a big customer of not only PFOA, but a related chemical, related chemicals, PFOS, that was used in Scotchgard by 3M. And there was all kinds of very troubling toxicity data. There were epidemiology studies. And most of this wasn't published. It wasn't peer-reviewed. It wasn't out there in the, in the literature for folks to find. But it was in these internal documents. I, I'm looking at all this data in the year 2000, early 2001. And what really struck me was when we found that there were no state or federal regulations because the agencies probably didn't even know this chemical existed. The 2004 settlement of Balat's class action suit resulted in the largest health study of a PFAS chemical in the world. It looked at the blood levels and health histories of people exposed from a DuPont plant in Parkersburg, West Virginia. That started in 2005. We ended up getting 69,000 people to participate in that study. The results showed blood levels 400% higher than the general population and links to problems like thyroid disease, ulcerative colitis, testicular and kidney cancer. Meanwhile, 3M says no human studies to date prove that PFAS causes serious illness. They maintain correlation does not prove causation. Critics of this line of thinking say a causation study would require intentionally exposing people to PFAS, which is unethical. Despite all this information, this stuff is still not regulated. We do have an EPA-encouraged voluntary phase-out of long-chain PFAS. The phase-out was celebrated, and since then, it's been widely assumed that long-chain PFAS chemicals are not found in U.S. products. As 3M says on their webpage, PFOSfacts.com, PFOA and PFOS are, quote, no longer produced or used in the United States or Europe. But I know there are other countries, like China, that are still producing them. So can the long-chain be imported? In light of the long-chain contamination left by a leather tannery in Rockford, Michigan, I wondered about shoe leather. I contacted the EPA Office of Chemical Safety and Pollution Prevention. After checking into it, their spokesperson responded. 
At this time, there is no restriction on importing shoe leather containing long-chain PFAS on it. That was surprising. I had a second question for the EPA. What locations in China are manufacturing PFAS-treated shoes? Is that info publicly accessible? I was prompted to ask due to studies which have found concerning levels of PFAS in breast milk in Shanghai and in food crops in Shandong province. I was told, the EPA does not collect data on companies importing PFAS-treated shoe leather to the U.S. The same day I got the EPA's answers, I also learned something else. Here's the backstory. First, I contacted customer service, and they... Yeah. I'm talking with Dr. Graham Peasley of the University of Notre Dame. I was referred to him by the Ecology Center of Ann Arbor, which works with him closely on PFAS testing. And then customer service said, no, it's, it's actually made in China. Um, I'm recounting my months-long correspondence with Hush Puppy Shoes. So finally, they, um, they sent me to their law office, and their, their spokesperson contacted me. He was from a firm representing Wolverine International. I explained I was trying to find out what currently makes the leather water-resistant. I wondered because they discontinued the use of long chain, which caused such problems in Rockford. Um, now he's not returning any calls. So if PFAS is being used on shoes sold by Wolverine, I'll have more questions such as, but what about where they're being manufactured in terms of the wastewater or the air emissions? Oh, absolutely. And environmental problems are burgeoning in, in China, as you know. And here in the U.S., there's another concern, as Peasley explains. We're also disposing of shoes at the end of life, and each of those shoes is going to be, with its wonderful fluorine coating, is going to be put in the landfill where it continues to dribble out for the next 30 to 50 years. Back to my saga. Having no luck with the company, I had turned to nonprofits that advocate reductions in toxins. Did you happen to find out anything about my questions about what hush puppies are using for their water resistance? No luck there either. But within days, Dr. Peasley had been sent various brands of shoes. And finally, I had an answer. It was highly fluorinated, and I said, okay, it looks like it's PFAS treated. He also tested the spray-on waterproofing made by hush puppies. Its label says environmentally friendly formula, but he found PFAS in that as well. There's certainly no law in the U.S. that they can't use this stuff. Soon there was bigger news. Dr. Peasley had sent the items to Indiana University for further testing. The results prompted the Ecology Center to issue a press release. C8 had been found in Hush Puppies and Ked's shoes at what they termed very high levels. C8 as in the C8 health study. C8 as in long chain. Long chain, as in the legacy of tannery waste in Rockford. And high levels of C6, a short-chain PFAS, were found in the spray and other shoe brands. Okay, so both short-chain and long-chain PFAS can be legally in products we buy. As for our drinking water, there are no federal enforceable limits for that either. Consequently, when it comes to municipal water, well water, even bottled water, testing is not federally mandated. As for home filters, NSF International is the gold standard for certification. If companies want to advertise their filters as PFAS removers, NSF only certifies them down to the federal advisory, which currently is 70 parts per trillion. So consumers can't be sure which filters, if any, do more. Here's the bad news. No one in government has a handle on this issue. And if they say they do, they're not being truthful. 
Judith Ang served as an EPA regional administrator during the Obama administration. Along with mandating enforceable limits, she thinks the EPA should designate PFAS chemicals as hazardous materials so impacted communities can qualify as Superfund sites. To get the remediation done, you know, putting carbon filters on a drinking water supply doesn't get to the source of the contamination and get it remediated. What about the Clean Air Act? Air emissions containing PFAS from manufacturing are a potential source of contamination. Currently, PFAS isn't federally regulated in air either. The EPA webpage entitled PFAS Laws and Regulations says we may require phase-outs of the use of specific chemicals like PFAS if effective and feasible alternatives exist. Ang suggests we may see faster action at the state level. I think it's imperative that states pass drinking water standards for these chemicals and that they do it quickly. Some states have gone ahead and adopted enforceable limits. Michigan has proposed doing so for a variety of PFAS chemicals at levels considerably lower than the federal advisory. Washington State has gone so far as to ban PFAS in firefighting foam and food packaging. Some say we should carefully consider economic impacts before rushing into PFAS legislation. Others would rather we err on the side of caution, not only with PFAS, but all potentially toxic chemicals. Judith Ang says, There there are 80,000 chemicals used in commerce today, and only a few hundred have really been tested. And you should look at the, uh, the precautionary principle. Common in Europe, the precautionary principle requires products to be proven safe before getting on the market. Here, the tendency is to presume products are safe until proven otherwise. I've never seen an environmental regulatory law get passed until things got just ridiculously terrible. Evan Pratt is Washington County's Water Resources Commissioner. He feels the following formula can have its downsides. You have to balance the economy and the environment. He tells me that in the past, Michigan had a polluter pay law. For a period of time through 1994, uh, if a company was found to have contaminated or polluted with a toxic chemical, uh, they were required to clean it all up. After that, in 1995, the full cleanup wasn't required, and some of the standards were relaxed as far as what's acceptable in the environment. Cleanups aren't the only costs. There's testing, water treatment, health monitoring, medical treatments. The list goes on. Some say the bill for all that shouldn't be on taxpayers. Here's Dr. Rebecca Munink of the Ecology Center. The things that we have right now in Michigan, like our screening levels or action level, Um, don't necessarily put the burden to pay for cleanup on manufacturers. So that's why things like lawsuits are important to do that, so we can actually recoup some of those costs that the state is now paying, um, or communities are paying, for example, in Ann Arbor with our water treatment. Um, Here, we're paying that on our water bills. If Michigan approves strict PFAS limits, there's no denying there will be some economic pain. The state's Environmental Rules Review Committee, created in 2018, recently voted to delay the proposed PFAS rules. Note that by statute, the committee's 12 members must include representatives from manufacturing and industry. I spoke with environmental chemist Dr. Rick Radisky of Grand Valley State University. He works with citizens to address PFAS contamination. Will companies have to raise prices or close down, do you think, and lose jobs if they're the ones that have to pay for cleanups? Um, we will get some of that. 
a lot of companies went bankrupt because of hazardous waste, landfills, things like that, um, back in the 70s and 80s, and that will happen. Some plating companies may go out of business. I don't know. Legislators can be reluctant to support policies that could hurt business or shutter industries. Many towns were built around the companies in question. Parchment, a.k.a. Paper City, is home to Bob Barber, former mayor of nearby Plainwell. In 2018, Parchment's drinking water was found to have very high levels of PFAS. Barber thinks legislators could have prevented that. We elect these people to be visionaries. We elect these people to foresee what problems might be. And so a bunch of mills start closing down. And uh, what do they do? Oh, they're concerned about the unemployment and all that, which is all valid stuff. But at the same time, their number one job, again, is to protect us, keep us safe. Not get us a job, but to keep us safe. But some say with so many potential toxins in our modern world, the government cannot possibly eliminate risk nor should they try, lest we end up with an all-controlling government and loss of freedoms. Others say government should at least assure consumers are making informed choices. Here I am at a local outdoor gear store. PFAS is, it's a whatever. Chemical, yeah. yeah. Do you know if you have clothes that don't have that on it? I don't know. I was advised to check with the manufacturers. I know this is far from just a shoe leather issue. So I made calls to a variety of companies. Press two for product the operator will be with you shortly. Please let us know the name of the product you are calling about. Asking through that route didn't help either. There's no law saying that if a product contains PFAS, that needs to be on labels or otherwise publicly available. Dr. Radisky says, I think these studies need to get out there and I think people will make the adjustments because people are expending more money to buy safer materials. Um, there was a big study on that, that people will spend extra to buy to get sustainable materials. And Interestingly, some say, actually, safe products can be cheaper. They're using less reagents. They're using less solvent. The EPA is not going to have as many regulatory fines levied against them for the products they're making. So they view it as, if done the right way, can be cheaper. Dr. Nick Kingsley is professor of green chemistry at the University of Michigan, Flint. Green chemistry isn't a mandate from the government. Green chemistry isn't about following EPA regulations. Green chemistry is about doing things the right way up front because it's the responsible thing to do as a chemist. When it comes to what to do about PFAS, some want to avoid economic pain and big government. Others are more comfortable being proactive. According to Kingsley, perhaps we can have both. In the Green Room, I'm Barbara Lucas, 89.1 WEMU News. This segment concludes WEMU's five-part Green Room series on PFAS. Please check out our website for the podcast, transcripts, and resources of the previous four segments. In fact, all of our Green Room episodes, over 100 over the past seven years, are available on our website. Find them at the on-demand drop-down at WEMU.org. I'm David Fair, and this is 89.1 WEMU-FM and WEMU-HD1 Ypsilanti.